0: Thank you for checking out the Messio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as He makes all things new. We are excited to pursue His heart for the greatest city on earth and the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. Today is Resurrection Sunday, and uh, we were, me and my wife, as we were riding in, I'm like, there's so many different themes that you can touch on today. So many different opportunities uh, to celebrate what Jesus has done, going through the the tension and the pain of Holy Week and walking to the cross and doing so without any hesitation. Well, he did have some hesitation in the garden, um, but he did it with us fully in mind. It says in Hebrews 12 that It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of God. What was the joy that he saw but us? carrying this weight to the cross of shame and guilt that the world was attempting to put on top of him, he saw each and every one of our faces as he is walking to the cross. Therefore, he could scorn the shame of the most shameful way to die that exists, that he would be stripped, but yet and still he would bear our iniquities. The title of his message today is Before the Cross, But after the resurrection, things are different for us on the other side of the cross, amen? Things are supposed to, but why does it feel like I am still standing in the shadow of the cross sometimes? How is it that I can walk in the freedom of who God has made me to be? But then everywhere I turn, sin seems to be after me. It seems to be um, attached to every relationship sometimes. It seems to be attached to every thought that I have. How do I permanently walk in the crucifixion of, of my sin that I have been risen with Jesus? In Mark sixteen fifteen sixteen 16 through 20, I was reading through uh, the passion of Christ, reading through the moments before he went to the cross, and this one in particular stuck out. To me. And if you are Good Friday, it was this amazing creative reading of this passage. This guy had a great voice, and he was like, Crucify, you know what I mean? He's like doing all that stuff, so it was really cool. I won't do it that way, but <laughs> the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when, he, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. These are the moments before the cross. Jesus was a king, but not the kind that they were mocking They were mocking him for being, um, for his grandeur, for uh, the way that he maybe commanded armies, which is not something that he came to do. It's what everybody expected Jesus to do. That's not who he was, so they were mocking the wrong person. And I thought to myself, these soldiers seem to be playing a role that we have in life. And it's not the role that, you know, we, preachers will say, you can see yourself as a character, as Jesus is walking to the cross. We may see situations, but I'm looking at this, and I'll, these soldiers are representing sin. This is exactly what sin does. They put a purple robe on him and then begin to mock him as king. Before the cross, we are in danger of being told what we are not, and not really who we are sin is crazy that it assists you and then it mocks you. It says, "Look, let's go and do this thing. Let's let, it'll be all right. Nobody will know. Come on, this is just come on, we're going to keep it to ourselves. It's between me and you." And once you have taken on this robe, then it becomes, "Oh, you know what you did? You know the guilt and shame of what you have done?" Let me pull you away from who you really are. Sin can never be the true substance of who we are. It is merely a shadow. Jesus on that side of the cross was standing in a place that we would never have to again. But yet and still we go before the cross over and over and over again. Standing not in the shadow of his wings, but in the shadow of the things that we have done, standing there, losing our substance of light and love, that this cross would cast a mighty shadow across sin because it would never be fulfilled without Jesus, the one who was without sin, sacrificing for each and every one of us. I love that verse in Psalm 17 and 8 where David prays, Jesus, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. Because there's something about us being under the loving protection of a father. And it's crazy that sometimes the work of the enemy and the plans and purposes of the father look very similar, but they're for different purposes. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And what happened when he got to the wilderness? He was tempted by the enemy. So did God lead him there to destroy him? No. God led him there to destroy the works of the enemy but it looked like it was for destruction. I'm standing in the shadow, Father. I thought I was under the shadow of your wing, but I am in the shadow of sin. It seems I'm stuck on one side of the cross where Jesus is on the other. Why? Why is that, Father? How do I get out of this place? I'm so aware of everything that I have done wrong. I'm so aware of who I'm not. And I'm so far from becoming who I'm supposed to become. This verse I just quoted, Hebrews 12 and 2, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That that was supposed to be the last time shame and guilt would ever try to stick to us. But why does it still that I am ready for Resurrection Sunday to come but I seem to be stuck in Good Friday. I seem to be buried, not planted. I seem to be going further away from who you have called me to be. And the most Theological of books in Romans is this wonderful passage, Romans 6 1 through 11. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined? With Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For as we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose his power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ and we were set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he, listen, will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. We live. It has no power. He went before that shadow and experienced the mocking voice of sin for the last time. All that we experience that feels like guilt and shame for what we have done, it is but a shadow of the truth but is not the substance. Sin essentially is a lie. The crazy thing about fear is we feel bad about being afraid or we feel anxious about being anxious and it's like, you know, cotton candy being mad at cotton candy. You know what I'm saying? No substance. But it feels very real. You know what I'm saying? You're standing in an amusement park and you're like, I really want something that's going to fill me up. Cotton candy, that's going to do it. No, it's not going to do it. No. Sin looks good. And in the end, it will only leave us more empty. More emptiness comes from us following that way. It says in verse 10 that when he died, once to break the power of sin. Why are we returning to the cross over and over and over and over again when he died once to break the power of sin? Now, I am a believer, a firm believer in the sanctification of saints that we are continually being made into our new man or our new woman. We are continually walking this path where we don't get saved and then all of a sudden everything is gone. That it is a process of it being removed from our lives, us changing the circles we run in and trying to be around people who are on fire and people who love Jesus and people who encourage us in the word. All this is a process. But I just want to share that we have been redeemed. That he died one time and that we died with him. So essentially sin is us resurrecting a dead man. (laughs) We are dead. We have died standing in the shadow of the cross. Sin is so powerless. But in our fear, in our anxiety, we can empower sin and prop up this dead man and make it seem as if it is substantial. But it is not. Sin only means to miss the mark. And the way I feel about sin is more important than the sin itself. That how can I still go boldly before the throne? People could say whatever they wanted to about David, but David would live any type of way, but he knew to come into the presence of God. He knew that God was looking at his heart and not what his hands did. We get so caught up in what our hands are doing, and God does not look at the outer appearance. Man does. But he looks at the heart, at the state of the heart, standing still in the dark. I remember when I was a kid, and my kids have gone through these phases as well, where they're afraid of the dark. They're just afraid of, you know what I'm saying, shadows and things. They're laying down at night. It's like, what's that? That's a face, you know. It's like, I remember that when I was a kid. And I know the moment where I wasn't afraid of the dark anymore. That moment was when I just logically thought to myself, I don't think there's anything in the dark that's going to be bigger than me. (laughs) There is nothing that I am going to confront in the dark that is bigger than me. I mean, I've been this height since I was like 13. So that was pretty much when I I I was being done afraid of the dark. Knowing that who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Therefore, sin has no power over us. It says in Hebrews 6, 1 through 6, which is one of the most sobering passages in Scripture. But I'm sure I say that every week. <laughs> and also every preacher, this is my favorite passage in Scripture. I'm like, hey, this one hits hard right here. Let this wash over you. And add a T at the top because I forgot that. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taking forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted in the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, and subjecting Him to public disgrace. I am standing in the shadow now as the soldier when I am refusing to step into the light of the resurrection. He is redeemed us, but it is a gift that we must accept. Also, when I was a child, I was just super religious. I mean, I was 12 years old was the first time I preached. And so I had to make sure I was really saved. You know, and as some people say, you got to make sure you're save, saved, saved. <laughs> Apparently, I preached to kids in, at, in the playground. My mom told me. It like The teacher's like, we don't know what he's doing. He's like, <laughs> I, <laughs> some kid was, was saying something. I slapped my hand on the t- You're lying and you're going to hell. <laughs> I am glad I didn't become that type of preacher. <laughs> like, man. But I would always go to school and do something and then go, "Ah, I got to go get saved again. It didn't stick. Let us not go to the elementary laying again the foundation of repentance. Repentance means to change our mind. All right, all right, God, I really mean it this time. I'm, I'm really saved this time. But that is showing us about shadow. And the substance of Christ, which is light, the name Christopher, which means light bearer, that God has called us to bear his light. But standing in the shadow of the cross, we are before the cross. We are going before it to bring all of our sins over and over and over again. And the plainest, most logical way I can explain it to you is Jesus ain't there no more. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are going to a place that has been deserted by Jesus because he has risen in his glorious way. How is it that I can see shadow so much, Father, but can't even imagine the goodness of your grace? There is something that mankind used to think, in all of its scientific ways, and it is called the geocentric theory. The geocentric theory is the belief that everything in the universe revolves around the world. How stupid is that? It's like, yes, and this is how we feel sometimes. Everything revolves around me. Oh yes, this is so awesome, until Copernicus came along and said, you know what, there is something called the heliocentric theory. That is, the world revolves around the sun. Doesn't that make much more sense? This life-giving force, this light that exists to illuminate all of the universe and bring life to everything that is found under the shadow of its rays. The heliocentric theory. The sun is also the most perfect circle you will find in nature. That sounds like Jesus to me. That's someone who... Did believe in Christ would discover this. The geocentric theory has been usurped by the heliocentric theory. Yet and still there is something that illuminates by light. Why am I still standing in the shadow of my sin? Well, what does the earth illuminate? Nothing. What can I illuminate? Nothing. What does illuminate? The sun. If I am so aware of the shadow that exists before the cross, you know what that tells me? The center of my universe is me. Everywhere that I'm thinking, everywhere that I'm going, all of my meditation is wrapped up in who I am. And who I ain't. And when the light of the earth is shining, all it is illuminating is shadows. And telling me what I cannot see. What is not in me. Everything you don't have. I wish you had this. You don't have that. You don't have this. I am more aware of my sin and where I fall short than I am of Christ. But there is something about us keeping Jesus at the center of it all, we keep him in the middle, he illuminates all and brings life to all. That is the only thing you should think of when sin becomes an issue in your life. You are just off-center. As the word sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark. That is all that has happened. It just takes a little adjustment to bring Jesus back to the center of your universe. I begin to wonder about all the things that I don't have. Oh, God, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I'm missing this. But he, in the center, brings everything back into alignment and brings light to all that we can see. Thus, I stand in the light and power of Resurrection Sunday as opposed to the shadow that went before the cross. Imagine God. This is called in scripture, this wraparound light that doesn't produce any shadow whatsoever. And you know what doesn't become an issue? It is, ah, oh, man, I got to figure this out. Oh, how is this going to work? There is something about the pursuit of God that takes sin completely off the table. Because you're, you're worried about how are you burning this is how we move Jesus back to the center. Not, not that I'm missing this and I'm missing that. But am I praying to be super religious today? <laughs> but there are some ways that have been tried and true over centuries at work. Prayer, worship, reading your Bible, and being around people who love God. Because an ember by itself will die. But you put it with some other ones, woo it's about to light up. Anybody that's tried to light a barbecue in Chicago, you should know that. (laughs) It's like, man. James 1, 16 through 17, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God cannot produce any shadow. I remember I used to think of like, man, maybe I'm just like, uh, before the cross, after the resurrection, means we go before the cross, essentially after the resurrection, means we pursue all the gifts that God has given us as well, right? Right? But there is no variation, no shadow of turning in God. It is his wraparound light that brings us into his grace. This is a picture of Union Station and this light that pierces the darkness. That although sin casts a mighty shadow, Jesus at the center will keep us in his grace and in his mercy. Honey, would you mind passing out the um, communion in the basket? Thank you. It is always the love of him that we that we tout, that we remember even on a day as precious as Easter. His resurrection is so glorious. And I love, you know, that it doesn't, to me, I was trying to think of a good metaphor for Easter, and uh, it's sort of like a series finale, as you get to relive every every day. That every day contains that same sort of resurrection power. And I know... Life gets mundane, and we're just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. But this is, this is what I'm here for, and this is what Matt is here for, to encourage you into the goodness of God. This is what Peter is here for. This is what Hannah is here for. This is what Alyssa here. We're all here to encourage each other. Thank you, honey. We're all here to encourage each other into the grace into the mercy of God. And I love that.